There's a uh, TV show that my kids and I particularly love to watch in the summers. Have you heard of American Ninja Warrior? Any American Ninja Warrior fans? Let me see. Of course, you can't just say it this way. You've got to say, American Ninja Warrior. Because you can't say the word warrior without saying warrior. Because it makes it seem really tough and strong. We're talking about 31 Kings, so I thought that was kind of an appropriate um, illustration to think about. Because when we think about that, that show, if you're not familiar with it, the goal of that show is to make it to the top of Mount Midoriyama. And Mount Midoriyama is not a real mountain. It's a physical structure, 75 feet tall with a rope. And you have to get to the top of that rope. But Here's the deal. It's the end of stage four. And what that means is there are three, four stages before that and qualifying rounds that you have to surpass before you can get to the top of Mount Midoriyama and be called the first ever American Ninja Warrior and claim a $500,000 prize. And so we watch every week as all these people from all different walks of life are competing and uh, being challenged to go through all these different obstacles. And so they go through these obstacles and everywhere along the way there's different things called like the pistol row, the propeller bar, the silk slider. You guys know those, all these obstacles? There's the, the, the spider jump and, and all these kinds of things. And one little mistake, one little error, and they fall in the water and their hopes are over. But between them and their goal are all these obstacles. And as we look at this story, 31 Kings, the story of Joshua, and we look at, we look at our lives and we think, what are all the obstacles that stand between us and the promise that God has for us? Us and the things that God wants to do in our lives, the things that God wants to do um, through us. And we think about all these obstacles in the way, how do we overcome them? How do we get there? And in this book of Joshua, this is our theme, to be strong and courageous, the story of strength and courage. Now we're in our third week of the story, and, and we've, we've followed the story along now. The Israelites, the people of God, have had this promise for 600 years since Abraham that they would receive this land just for them. But it's taken them so many years, hundreds of years, slavery in Egypt, through Moses leading them to the edge of, of that promised land, and as they got to the water's edge, they, they couldn't do it, and they wandered for 40 more years, and now, finally, as the book of Joshua begins, Joshua is the new leader, Moses has died, the, the previous generation is no longer there, and now this new generation is getting ready to finally claim the promise that God has for them. And so as we began the story in, in chapter 1, because of what they're about to face, staring at them on the other side of the Jordan River that, that separates them from the promised land, there are 31 kings that occupy that land. And so we begin this journey where, where, where God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why do you need to be strong and courageous? Because there's scary things on the other side, and we're afraid of what could happen when I cross over to the other side. Be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm with you. And so they began that journey. And then last week we talked about crossing Jordan and that metaphor that's become a barrier to us, that first obstacle that we face that, that, that we need to cross to get over to the other side and how God led the people through that. And following the priests carrying the ark, when their feet touched the water, the waters parted. They held back the raging rivers that were going to bowl them over and God made a dry path through them. Uh, through the Jordan River to the other side. And they set up a memorial of stones from within that river to say, God led us through, and they remembered that story, and it was going to be a story that they would tell for generations to come. And so today we come on the side, this side of the Jordan River. They're now on the west side of the Jordan River. They're finally in the promised land. And what happens when they're inside the promised land, now think about this, this is their first day in the promised land, but behind them, what happened to the Jordan River? 
it started flowing again. And all of a sudden now there's no going back. They've crossed through the Jordan. They're on this land. They're on the promised land. And before they even know what to do, and before they even know where to go, they look up and there they are in the shadow of a city named Jericho. A city named Jericho. Now, some cities are known and some countries are known for certain physical structures. If I say to you, Paris, what comes to mind? The Eiffel Tower. China. The Great Wall of China. Jericho. The walls of Jericho. The Jordan River protecting it. It's a double-walled city. And so that struck fear in the hearts of those that were around because Jericho was impenetrable. These walls were not just regular walls. These were thick walls, 70-foot tall walls, not just a single wall, but double walls, and not just double walls, but the city was slightly on a hill. And so there was a first wall, and then there was the hill, and then there was another wall. And you could only get there if you first came through the Jordan River. So they felt pretty secure. They felt strong. And here are the people of God, nomads that have been wandering, trying to think about how do we take on Jordan or Jericho. And what was known about Jericho was the wall. Now think back to our American Ninja Warrior example. If you've ever watched it, what's the one obstacle that seems to take out people every season? It's a, it's a staple in every single show. If, anyone know it? The warped wall. The warped wall is 14 feet tall. And it's kind of warped and angled up. And contestants try to run and they get over that wall. And they're learning more and more how to do that. But it takes out so many competitors. Some of them try to run and they can't. And then they slide right back down. And today what I want to talk about is how do we overcome the wall? Jericho represents the wall that we are facing. As a matter of fact, in, in everyday language, we use this termini- terminology all the time, right? I feel like I keep running into the wall. Ever feel like that? I keep running into the wall. Or we use a phrase like, I keep banging my head against the wall. And you just picture somebody, right, with a big red you know, bruise there, it's bleeding, and they're just standing there going... Ever feel that way? I'm just banging my head against the wall. I can't seem to break through this thing. We use the term, I'm hitting the wall. If you've ever hit the wall, if you're working out, if you're playing sports, or you've done something of physical activity, when you hit the wall, what happens? Nothing left. Nothing left. You can't go on. You can't push through. You are not doing another rep. You're not going another quarter. You can't. You've hit the wall. So we understand this from everyday life. We come to these points in time where we just can't push through anymore. We're hitting the wall. Where are you hitting the wall? And so we find ourselves in this really uncomfortable spot. And it's the spot between the Jordan and Jericho. Did you ever find yourself between Jordan and Jericho? Think about that. God's brought you through some amazing things. You've experienced some pretty cool things in your life, or God's brought you to this point in your life, and you know that he's, he's brought you here. But then the Jordan closes up behind you, and now you can't go back, but where you're looking ahead in front of you seems daunting. It's demanding. It's the first king of the 31 kings occupying the promised land, and that is Jericho. And this in-between time is a very uncomfortable time to be in, between Jordan and Jericho. I remember uh, just a couple of years ago, we lived for several years in an in-between time. Now, God um, called us years ago. We felt this, this call in our lives to plant a church. And so we started a church in the Southeast Valley, in, in, in Santan Valley. And we knew that was the calling God had on our lives. And no matter what opportunities or other things came about, we knew this is where God had us. And we, we did that for years and years, joyfully, challenges, good times, That's what God had us do. But we knew there came a point a couple of years ago where we just started sensing like it's time. 
It's time for the next thing, that we've done what God has called us to do, and, and the next thing is coming. We started feeling the sense of, of letting go and moving on, but the, I, the odd thing was we didn't know to what. And it was this really uncomfortable time where we knew God has brought us through Jordan, but Jericho was in front of us going, God, what's next? And we couldn't seem to get past this point. And the weeks turned into months, and the months in some ways turned into years. And if you've ever been at a point in time where you've tried to break through a wall, or you've tried to figure out what was next, and it was a long period of time, it's exhausting. It's tiring. It's frustrating. It can be confusing. It can be defeating and discouraging. It can be depressing. And you, you get into the stage where you go, God, what's, what's next? And how do I push through? What are the Jerichos in front of you? Today, as we think about this message, I really want you to think in your mind, what is something right now that represents a wall that you are having difficulty getting through? Something you're having a challenge going over or around or you keep running into. Your head is bleeding because you've been banging your head against that wall. See, we have all kinds of Jerichos in our lives. We have all kinds of places where we hit the wall. Maybe in your marriage, you've hit the wall You've worked through problem after problem and, and it, you, you think you're taking two steps forward and then one step back and, and now you're at this impasse again and you're just going, I keep hitting the wall. And you're going, God, help me through this. I need to know how to push through this wall. Maybe financially, the checkbook says zero. You're in the negative. The bank is telling you your bank account is overdrawn. You can't apply for another credit card or you've got some bill or something that's coming up and you just don't know how you are going to push through. You can't find the job that you've been looking for and you're feeling like, God, I'm hitting the wall. And that wall is an uncomfortable and difficult place to be. Maybe you're facing some legal ramifications. Maybe there's a lawsuit somewhere where you don't even know what to do and you can't turn anywhere. Maybe it's professional. In your career, you've gone as far as you can. You've done the things you could at work. You've done everything you can to please your boss. And there just seems to be a dead end. There's nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And you feel like you're hitting the wall. Maybe it's your health issues. You feel like you've got this chronic thing that you've been dealing with and you've been fighting with and you just kind of go, I can't anymore. God, I can't. I'm tired. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to quit. Or maybe, or maybe that Jericho, maybe that wall is spelled C-A-N-C-R, C-E-R, cancer. And you get this diagnosis. You hear these words, whatever it might be, and you just are defeated and you feel like, how do I push through? Addictions, you've tried again and again and again. This is going to be different this time, and you're not sure, and you're hitting that wall. What do you do? Major decisions in your life, emotional hurdles you've gone through. On and on, what is that wall that you are facing? Maybe it's a spiritual wall that you're hitting right now. You've given your life to Christ. You've followed him. You're a person of faith, and you're thinking, you're thinking hey, how can it be so hard right now? Why does God feel so distant? I've given him my life. I've surrendered to him. Why right now do I feel empty, or why do I feel feel like he's not coming through. Or maybe you're not even interested in faith. Maybe that wall for you is even coming to faith and you're trying on your own and you're trying on your own and, and yet you're here because you feel like maybe God's going to speak to me. Maybe God's going to break through and maybe today is the time where you feel God breaking through. As we're looking at this story of Joshua, it's also become, <clears throat> excuse me, a metaphor for our church. As I've said, in times of transition, times of change, the story has become very helpful for me and inspirational for me. And as I think about us together, McDowell Mountain Community Church, in some ways we find ourselves between Jordan and Jericho. God's brought in a new leader, new leadership. 
We're in a new season. We just celebrated 20 years, and change makes all of us a little bit uncomfortable. We're excited about the future. We're excited about what's next, but we also mourn changes and things that are different, and some things don't feel the way they used to, and so in some ways we feel like we're between these two places. God, what are you going to do and what lies before us? And there's some challenges. We have a future ahead of us about what we want to do and the expansion on this property to reach more children and more youth and families and to, to create the kind of place that continues to make a bright, bright difference here in this community. And we think about, about things that are coming out, about multiplying and continuing to multiply our impact all around. And, and we, think about, uh, we think about Michael and Christy leaving last Sunday. That was their last Sunday. They're preparing to go and start a new church. And we think about them going with Cody and Kristen and, and, and some other people from our church, a group that's going to start a new beginning. And it gets a little scary. You start thinking like, yeah, we know God's calling us to that. We know that's what we're called to do. But, but there's going to be some empty seats there when those people go. And, and what does that mean for us financially? And, and, and who fills that role with Michael? And we're a little bit in between us, us, uh, Jordan and Jericho. If you look in your worship folder in the far lower right corner, there's a big Jericho on the bottom of that page. And they're there every day, week. They're the numbers. And, and, and while we're here to talk about God and spiritual matters and things that are important, it's finances that are a big part of what we do as a church. And we see that number and we look at their budget and we realize $160,000 from where we really need to be at this point to do the things that God has called us to do in, in the way that we'd like to do them. And that number is there and maybe it just seems like a number, but we feel that every day as a staff, and as a team, and as we talk about how do we do ministry and how do we manage the finances, and we're doing that, and we're trying to manage them as best as we can, but we see a Jericho, and we go, God, how are you going to make up that difference? How are you going to help us on the other side of that? Because we have big dreams and big hopes, and we're excited about our future, and so we trust God, and we find ourselves in this in-between time. And it's an uncomfortable place to be. <laughs> That's okay. It happens to all of us in different places. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. We live in a technology world here. Trying to think of a good song that that could be right now, but I, I didn't I didn't pick it up. But, <laughs> but we're in transition, and we're in, in, in we feel that individually, we can feel that personally. And so, what do we do when we're between Jordan and Jericho? And the story today, we pick up in chapter five and chapter six how God is handling this time and how God is moving in His people during this time of transition and uh, their future. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Joshua chapters five and six. Heavenly Father, this morning I think we can all relate. We have times in our lives where we hit the wall. And so, God, today I just pray that, that you would show us how you move and that you would give us courage and uh, strength when we hear the story of how you move through Joshua and through the people in miraculous ways. God, we pray for you to break down the walls today that are keeping us from the life and the future and the fullness that you have promised us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here they are, they, the Israelites, they've, they've crossed the Jordan. It's their first day in the promised land. Now, just try to, let, let's just stop there and, and think about that for a minute. You've been hoping for this for so many years, and now you're finally on that land that's been promised to you. And, and there's a celebration, and there's an excitement that's there. But I can imagine Joshua being a commander in the past and now the leader of the people kind of going, all right, we need a strategy, we need a plan. There's Jericho, what are we going to do to tackle it? We need a military plan we got to work through this. And so how are we going to breach these walls? How tall a ladder do we need to, to, to build? You know, can we launch something up there? Can we throw some soldiers that high? I don't know. Is that even possible? Like, how do we get them up over these walls? I mean, we've got to figure out a way. 
Maybe we starve them out. Maybe we just find a way. And, and so what's really interesting is how chapter 5 really sets out this, this, this situation just before Jericho. Because it's not what we would expect. Actually, the very first thing that uh, Joshua asks the people is what God spoke to him. And, he, and God told him, Joshua, circumcise all the males. We love talking about circumcision in church. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's my favorite topic to talk about in church. Really uncomfortable. Literally. Um, and uh, these, <laughs> so these, the, here God is asking Joshua, okay, what does this have to do? All the fighting men to be circumcised. Now, this is not a good plan. I mean, if I'm the king of Jericho, I'm thinking this is an opportune time where the enemy is just not quite ready to fight, right? But they've been discouraged and God's keeping them at bay. Why is God asking this? You see, after they left Egypt, none of the males were circumcised. And in the past, this was the covenant between God and his people. It was a mark on their body, a physical way that, that, that was this bond, this covenant, that they are his people and he is their God. And what he understood through this time of when they didn't conquer the promised land the first time, and now they're coming back, this whole generation, it says they bore the shame of their slavery. And what he was trying to say to them right now, before you take your first battle, before you run into that wall and try to do anything, you need to reestablish and reaffirm your commitment with me. In scriptures, in the New Testament, we talk about the circumcision of the heart. And what God asks us is not a physical circumcision, but he's talking about a spiritual circumcision, one where our heart is rendered over to him, one where we say, God, we are yours. In some ways, the, the act of baptism, when we commit our lives to Christ and are baptized, we say, God, I am all in. I am here, and you are my God, and we are your people. And that was that foundation that he laid there, and the people made the sacrifice and this commitment to make a point and to put God first and to, to put that, that, that covenant in right order. And then they celebrated the Passover. And I got in Passover, what, what, what's the significance of that? Well, 40 years earlier, the first Passover was when the plagues came to Egypt, when they were slaves in Egypt, and, and God, through Moses, sent all these different plagues on Pharaoh. And the last one was when they were protected from the angel of death that came and was killed, the firstborn of all of Egypt. And they were protected when they, the, the Spirit passed over the homes that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. They put blood on the doorpost, and those, that was, they were protected. And so they celebrated that this, this passed over them, and that God protected them, and that was what freed them, and that's what released them into, um, out of slavery and towards the promised land. And here they are, now think about this, 40 years later, before they face their first battle, and they're celebrating Passover. Instead of looking forward right now, they are looking back and remembering what God has done. His faithfulness, like we were singing about earlier. You're faithful. God, you brought us to this point. This is why you brought us here. And then it says, that for the first time, the manna stopped after 40 years of God providing manna for them along the way. and says, and they ate of the grains and the crops in the promised land. God's promise is true and is faithful. And there was a spiritual preparation. And then we come to an interesting point now where Joshua, in, in chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, or 13 to 15, he's ready now to to survey what he needs to do. And he's walking towards Jericho, and he has this interesting encounter. He encounters a man, a being, carrying a sword. And here's, what, here's the encounter with Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, 13 to 15. Joshua went up to him and asked him, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am commander of the Lord's army. Let me just pause there for a moment. Interesting encounter, and I love this question. Are you friend or foe? I mean, Joshua wants to know, do I go to battle with you? Are you on my side, your side? And I love the response. 
I'm neither. God is not about looking whose side he takes and whose side he's for these guys and he's not for these guys. He's for everyone. The question that we need to ask is, are we on God's side? He's above sides. He is the side. And so he, he, Joshua submits at that point and understands he's the commander of his army, but if this is the commander of the Lord's army, I'm outranked right here. And then he goes on and says, At this Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. Again, the spiritual beginnings, before we run headlong into the walls, before we run headlong into battle, understanding who is in command. Where do we get our marching orders from? Where do we go from here? And Joshua committed himself. He humbled himself. He bowed down and said, we are at your command. Are you on God's command or is he to be on your command? Do we tell God what we want to do or are we open to what he has to tell us? Joshua said, I'm open for you to tell us. And then in Joshua 6, verses 1 and 2, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its mighty warriors. Now they were ready. And the promise came from God, I've given this to you. You may see the wall, you may see Jericho, you're not able to bust through that. And God's promise comes to you and he says, I've already given you victory. I've already given you a restoration to your marriage. I've already given you victory over that addiction. I've already brought healing. I've already come. There's a, there's, a, there's a solution for you on the other side. You may not see it yet or know it yet, but I'm working on it, and I'm going to give it to you in my way, in my timing. And so he promises this to Joshua, and then he gives him the plan. Finally, time for the battle plan. Now, those of us, if you're military-minded, you're thinking, all right, here comes the plan. How are they going to do this? One of these great military battles. Let's hear the plan. No battle before or since has been fought the way that, that Joshua fought Jericho. Because here's the plan. All right, Joshua, you got this? Take notes. Get this right. All right. Get together uh, seven priests. Oh, whoa, whoa, time out, God. This is the battle. We don't need the pastors. Leave those guys in the church. They can pray. They can do that kind of stuff. We need military guys. No, get, get seven priests and give them a ram's horn, okay? And then get the Ark of the Covenant that's going to be carried. Remember, the Ark represented God's presence. Get the Ark of the Covenant, and then we'll surround that by military men, and you will march around the entire city of Jericho one time, silently, and then you're going to go back to camp. Okay, okay, God. All right, all right. What about the next day? Okay, we're going to ready. We're going to survey what we got, and then we'll do it again. Next day, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to march around the city silently, and you're going to go back to camp. Third day, you're going to do that for six days, actually, Joshua. Six days, you're going to march around the city. And then on the seventh day, we attack. Well, not, not quite yet. Uh, slow down there, Joshua. All right, seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times in silence. You're just going to keep circling. And then... When I tell you, when the, when the priests sound the long horn, you're all going to shout and you're going to rush in and take the city. Got it? All right. All right. This is an odd plan, right? This is not a kind of typical military plan. So Joshua then goes to his people. He goes to his military leaders and the others in the military and he begins to share this plan with them. And as he shares this plan, he gives them this extra reminder in Joshua 6 verse 10. He says, do not shout. Do not even talk. He's talking about as they walk around. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
Right? This is the military plan. Be silent, a silent walk, and then a shout. And this has got to be frustrating. And they've got to be wondering, what is going on here? And could you imagine being part of that military? And now you're starting to march. And you're starting to walk around, and the dust is kicking up, and you're hearing those footsteps, and you're hearing the, the horns being blown by the priests, and that's all you hear. But an entire army is silent as they march around. And then they go back to their camp. What's going on in the minds of those soldiers? What's going on in the minds of God's people? What's going on in the minds of those that are inside Jericho? What's happening outside those walls? And God is beginning to do something. He's beginning to stir something. And we learn something in this odd, odd story of how God brought victory over Jericho by what's happening here. And here's some things that I think that we can learn about this. First of all, we need to get quiet. Sometimes when we're ready to rush into our biggest challenges, we're all talk and we're trying to figure it out. We're going hard. And he says, be quiet. Calm yourself. Don't talk to others. Just pray. Silence is hard, isn't it? Especially if you're an extrovert. Silence is hard. It's really hard, too. Have you ever tried playing the quiet game with kids? You know, it doesn't last very long. The quiet game, it's hard to be quiet. We want to talk. When I get down to, to get quiet, I want to sit down, and pretty soon I'm, like, thinking about stuff, and I move around. It's hard to just be still and to be quiet. But what happens during that time? Then he says, listen and follow God's lead. Listening to that ram's horn, following that, that ark around the city, is how do we listen in for God's voice? How do we crowd out all the other opinions and ideas and recommendations of how you should come over this wall and really begin to dial into what God is telling you? How do you do that? You pray. You read God's word and you go, God, speak. I'm listening. And now here's the thing. We think, we think it's going to happen right away. All right, God, I've got five minutes. I've got a half an hour. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to do the point and shoot method, you know. God, give me a word. There's my word for today. You know, how does that? Actually, it was funny. It said, but if they would be still and listen. That was actually what I pointed to. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. That was really weird. See, it works. Told you it works. So, So scratch that. You can use that technique. It actually, it actually works. God's spirit works. Funny, though, how many times in life it actually does. But, but you listen, and God's word speaks, and you go, okay, listen. Get quiet what God is doing. And maybe you journal, and you go, I just want to hear what God is saying. The third thing they did in this story is they kept moving. They were circling their problem 360 degrees. They were moving, praying, and moving. And what happens when you walk around, and they're walking around the city. And when you're in silence, if you've ever walked in silence or in prayer, and you walk around something... They're getting a 360-degree perspective on the problem. They're looking at it from all different sides, and the whole time they're asking God and they're praying to God, God, come through for us. I don't know, how are you going to take these walls down? I don't know, God, but I'm surrendered. I mean, lead us. God, follow us. And they're getting this perspective. Now, I really like to actually prayer walk because, as, as I said before, if I sometimes sit down, and I do, I sit down and pray, but my mind starts drifting. Anyone else? You know, sometimes it's hard to stay focused, and all of a sudden you're praying, and you're going, man, I wonder if my, how my fantasy team's doing this morning. Um, sorry, God, uh, back to, I'm going to pray about this. And, and, and for some of us, it's really hard and to learn that discipline of being quiet. And so I love this idea of prayer walking. Sometimes I just love to move and to walk. And when we were going through that, that season of searching and seeing what God had for us, I would walk in, in, our, in our offices, church offices. We had this big living room space. And when nobody was there, I would just circle that room over and over again. It was just talking and praying. And sometimes I was quiet. And I did this for weeks and months. I think I wore holes in that carpet because it was just, I was at an impasse. I didn't know where to go forward. I didn't know where to go back. And all I could do 
was pray. And, and the story became so, so powerful at that time. I would walk the neighborhood, a block in the neighborhood at night, one, two, three times, and just pray and ask God, somehow, God, come through and open that door that we would know what was next and where you would lead and where you want us to be. Keep moving. Keep praying. Circle those prayers. Fourth, you have to be patient. I think when you're walking and you're circling in that way, I mean, how hard would that be for a military that's ready to go and ready to fight to just slow down and just be patient? I think God was teaching them patience to take your time and to go around. Like as I was saying, I was, it, it was so hard to be patient in that time. It's so hard to be patient when you're between jo- Jordan and Jericho. But I remember, I remember that time, and I remember that out of the blue after months and months of waiting and wondering and beginning to explore, explore other options all across the country and honestly even a few other options around the world, I got a phone call from Scottsdale, Arizona. What came as a shock and came as an unexpected thing here for this church, the changing of a pastor. And when the call came and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about the possibility of being pastor here at McDowell Mountain Community Church, I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, it's right here in our back door. And, and, and as we started talking and as we started feeling the sense of this is really a God thing and that there's really a fit for us here and there's a really a way for us to, to engage in this ministry and the excitement that came from the search team and the board and, and for us as a family, we started thinking like, wow, it was right here. And while it felt like nothing was moving for a long time, the patience of being patient and waiting on God's timing came as such a confidence and such um, an assurance that this is what God was preparing us for. And, and, and so the fifth point here is stand back and watch God move. And that's what they did. They circled around. Eventually, they stood back and watched God move. How? It's when we let our silence become a shout. When I hear the scripture of, you know, don't say a word, don't even talk, don't do anything until I tell you, and then shout. Some of us want to shout, and we want to shout, and shouting is this, this idea of we're ready to go, we're ready to say what we want to do. But we haven't gone through the difficulty of the silence. We haven't gone to that place where God is birthing something in our spirit, where God is moving something, and it's an uncomfortable time. But when that begins to grow, and when that begins to stir, and when that confidence comes that God is leading and God is showing me a way through, then we need to shout it. And did you ever notice that you can't just shout quietly? Yeah! Awesome! You know, like, oh, what, what is up with that? <laughs> All right, I'm going to shout now. Yeah. Shouting takes everything, right? Shouting comes in your gut, and it comes out your heart and your throat. And it's like, Rah! yeah, you know, you stadium full of people cheering and excited, and there's energy that comes. But we don't have that confidence until we know in our spirit that God has spoken something, that God has opened up a door, and then he's called us to go forward and to go and not hold anything back for him. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the city from every side and captured it. I mean, think about that moment, right? An entire army, an entire nation surrounding a city and they shout. 
And while we talk about the personal challenges we have and the walls that we push through in our own lives, there's something powerful again here in the story about an entire nation, an entire people together, united in one voice, feeling the same thing, the same confidence that God is with them, that God is leading them, and that they are now ready to go at his command. When he says go, we shout and we go. And so imagine a crowd of people shouting. Now there's a record in the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest crowd noise. Loudest crowd noise. And, um, and, and so if you think about how loud a crowd can get, let me just put it into perspective here. When worship is loud in here, and I know some of you think it's too loud and some think it's too quiet and we're, we're, we yo-yo around, but when, it's, but when we have a powerful loud worship, it gets into the 90, mid-90s to maybe even upper 90s of decibel range, okay? So 90s, 95 dB. And it's long, but then there's times where it's quiet. And a talk and a whisper is quieter. So what happens as that volume gets up? How loud does a crowd of people get? Thunder, you know, a loud crack of thunder, 120 decibels, okay? I mean, that's going to rock the house. That's going to shake you, 120 decibels. At 130 decibels, that's the threshold of pain. That's where damage can begin to happen if you're exposed to sounds over 130 decibels. Well, the, uh, the uh, uh, Kansas City Chiefs used to hold the record at Arrowhead Stadium until the Seattle Seahawks took it and at CenturyLink Field, right? And... No, I don't, oh, don't, don't clap for this. Don't. <laughs> it, was a, it was kind of a golf clap. We'll give, <laughs> we'll give you that. No, they, but what are they known for at, at Seahawks Stadium? What is the crowd noise called? The 12th man. What's significant about the 12th man? Because if you have 12 men on the field, it's a penalty. But if the 12th man is the crowd and is cheering and is united and celebrating and loud, it creates an energy. It creates a momentum. And actually other teams can't hear and they're missing calls. And, and so they set a record in 2013 in a game versus the Saints, Saints with a record of 137.6 decibels, over that 130 decibel point. But you know what? The Chiefs took it back in 2014, setting a new record of 142 decibels. A gunshot is 140 decibels. So imagine being in a stadium with that many people at 142 decibels sustained for a while. That's ear damaging, but there's an energy there. Now, the reason they were able to do this is because they were playing the New England Patriots. So um, we can understand. We can understand why they were cheering so, so loud. But see, here's the thing. When a crowd unites and they can cheer about something and they're together on something, there's a power there. Now, I don't believe that that power, even though that, that, that can create sound waves and whatnot, I don't believe that the shouting of the Israelites is what brought the walls down from Jericho. It wasn't that. It was the power of God. But what God did is he united them. And he let them be a part of that. And he saw how every single person contributed to make this happen. And each one raising their shout to the shouts of others created something incredibly powerful. A conviction, an excitement about the future of what God is calling them to. And we wonder, like, what, what's our part? How do we shout as we face some of these challenges before us for the promise that God has for us? He doesn't just pave the way and he does it through different times, but he says there's 31 kings. We're going to have battles to face. We have hurdles to overcome. But we need to be united and excited and we each need to add our voice to what God is calling us to do. How do you add your voice and your shout to this church and to what God is calling us to do together? By being here is a first step. Do you know your presence here, you filling these seats, you worshiping together, us hearing these words together, committing ourselves in prayer, 
getting excited about the future. Next week, we're going to have an update about, about where we are with the expansion and what's next. To be together on this is so powerful, and you need to be here. Your presence matters. Your voice and worship matters. Your ability to serve and to give of your time to say, I want to be a part of making this. I don't just want to be on the outside looking in. I want to engage. I want to serve. You, we, we share opportunities. Write it down on your, paper, on your card. Say, I want to be a part. How can I help serve? We see this, this, this $160,000 difference between where we need to be and where we are. Well, what's my $100 check? What's my $1,000 check? What's it going to do? God begins to take each of our shouts, each of our voices saying, I have a part in that. I believe in what God has called us to do in the future that's here, and I'm going to do my part. And together, God's going to do and move something powerful through us. See, sometimes I think we sit back and we wait and we, we hope. What's God going to do? I love that God called the people here to be active with him to be praying together. Do you let something stir in their spirit until it got so strong that they said, yes, I'm a part of it. I'm going. Let's shout and let's, let's rush right at our biggest obstacle, that wall. When Jesus talked about the church, he said this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So many times, I think so many of us think about that image of the church is over here and it's cowering and it's cowering. And so don't worry, church, because the gates of hell can't prevail against you. So just, just hold strong. They can't prevail. The gates of a city aren't mobile. The gates of a city are fastened to that city. And what, and what Jesus was saying, look, hell will not be able to prevail when the church is on the offensive when the church goes and attacks the very strongholds of Satan in people's lives and in this community and in the world and in the culture, the church together, united in one voice, there is no chance. We don't have to fear the darkness. We can run towards it and shine an even brighter light. The church will prevail, and that's the power of a group of people together seeking God in prayer and watching what God does and as they embrace that future that God has for them. We don't run into the wall, but with God, the wall comes down. Today, I hope you're encouraged by the story. I am. Because there have been many times in my life where I can't figure it out enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough strategy. I don't have enough uh, levers to pull. I don't have enough resources or connections. And then there are times where you just throw up your hands and you go, God, take it. I'm done. I can't. My head hurts. Help me through this. And sometimes God just says, be patient and wait. But there is a way through when God begins to speak through his small voice to build you the courage and the strength that you can conquer what's before you through his strength. Today, maybe some of you, even spiritually, as, as I said earlier, there's a wall that you have been up against in your faith. You've just resisted and you've resisted and you've tried to maybe push through. And maybe today, God would speak to you and just say, push through, I'm with you, I'm here, let's get to that other side together. And he breaks those walls down that have been separating you from him. I want us to close in prayer. And just in a moment of silence, just think about your biggest obstacle. Think about your Jericho that you are facing today, this week. Let's just circle that in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we face many challenges in life. It's life. And though we have you and you, we know you are with us, we take great confidence in that. And yet, God, we, we face these challenges. So, God, whether it's a marriage, whether it's an addiction, whether it's financial or relational, whether it's emotional, God, whether it's spiritual, 
whether it's a decision someone's facing, God, would you just let them know right now, first and foremost, that you are with them and that you go with them as they circle this challenge in prayer and that, that we would pray these walls down and that you would remind us of your goodness in the past and that you would continue to call us towards your dream of the future. In confidence, God, we go forward knowing you are our God, we are your people. Break the strongholds, tear down the walls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. And in this time of reflection as we sing, come and, and maybe on the cross here you write down the wall that you're facing. Or maybe you pray that on behalf of somebody else and you pin that to the cross. Or you light a candle and say, God, I need your light in this area of my life. Let's sing, let's commit ourselves. No place ever.